Our Bible reading this morning comes from Judges chapter 2, reading from verses 10 to 19. And I'm reading from the NIV version. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew, who knew neither the Lord nor, nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashereths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with them and, their en- uh, and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judges lived. For the Lord had compassion on them and they groaned under the, those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people turned to the ways even more corrupt of of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give them up. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. May God speak to us through His Word this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lorraine. Well, this morning we are going to head back into our journey through. The story, this greater story of God that we've been working through over the last couple of months, in and out of it a little bit. Uh, It's also what the the children have been doing in their children's ministry. As you can see, there's different parts of the story that we've gone through as well. Uh, I get the feeling they're a fraction ahead of us as well. They're a little bit further beyond where we're at to at the moment. Uh, But we're going back into the story uh, that started at creation uh, and we're up to this time where we find that Joshua has, has taken the, the uh, Israelites into this promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham so many years before. And after 40 years of continual wandering that Rowan talked to us a couple of weeks ago, we, they were encouraged to take that step, the step to be strong and courageous and see how God moves. If you haven't seen any of the story uh, that we've been talking through, you can go back into the uh, YouTube uh, clips and find out all of that as well. Take, take that journey of the story over the next few weeks. You can see where we've been going. But, but we're going to pick up today where the Israelites are, are into this promised land. Um, They've stepped into the, into the river, they've crossed over. You can read that in Joshua chapter 4, but we're going to pick up as the nation sort of has entered the land and has begun to, to I suppose, conquer the land. But they only conquer the, the, the majority of it. They have a few hiccups along the way. 
And so our reading this morning that Lorraine read to us gives us an indication as to why those hiccups happened. What happened? So after Joshua, this faithful, this courageous Joshua who led the people into the promised land, he dies. And the very next verse after he dies is Judges 2.10. It says, after that, after, jo- after Joshua dies, a whole gener- after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, so after Joshua and his, his people, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or what he'd done for Israel. They lost the story. What happens when a generation grows up and don't, doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know what the Lord's done for Israel? What happens when a whole generation grows up and we haven't shared our story with the next generation? We had so many kids that come out of this church, so many kids that go off to children's ministry, so many kids. What happens when a generation grows up and doesn't know the stories of what God's been doing in and through the people of God? Well, Judges 2.11 tells us, Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they worshipped other gods. They worshipped the Baals and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. The Israelites, they were meant to get rid of all the other foreign gods. They were not meant to have any foreign gods in the land. They were meant to get rid of them all. Yet they didn't. And what happens? They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They abandoned the Lord their God, the God of their ancestors. And the stuff that was around them, all the other things clouded in and ruined their response to God as their number one. Now we have today more stuff that clouds around us than ever before, don't we? Our kids grow up in an age of technology that I don't even understand. And it's only going to get worse and harder. So it's easy to have our eyes taken off the Lord when there's so much stuff around. It's easy to embark on a sin-marked life that doesn't look too dissimilar to what the Israelites were facing. So that's what we're going to try and unpack this morning. We're going to unpack this cycle of sin that happens in and through the book of Judges that has the potential to derail faith completely. Yet God's ongoing provision and grace, it flips that narrative. Our role is that we keep our eyes focused on the only one that has the power to save. Now, Judges shows this time and again, but unfortunately, we still fit into that cycle of sin. And Judges chapter 2, which we're camping on, if you've got your Bibles, you want to, want to open it to it, it gives us this view of the cycle that the Israelites displayed, and, and it went on again and again and again. And it's a cycle that continues on in our lives. So disobedience, sin. The people, they worship other gods. They worship uh, pagan gods. God had called them to him first and foremost, yet they disobeyed God's command. I saw, um, I heard it actually through a podcast, a great statement about sin. It says that sin is not where people are weak and desperately trying Rather, sin is where people are strong and just not bothering. We see it in the Good Samaritan, where this clean priest and the Levite, they they cross over the road to get away from what they should have been doing by caring for the beaten and the broken. 
They omitted to help. They were strong enough to do it. They had what they needed to be able to help this man, yet they just didn't. It was a failure to bother to love. I think I shared that a couple of weeks ago. A failure to bother to love. The Israelites sat in this same category. They weren't willing to love the draw on their first love, God. Rather, they, they went around their own ways and did what was right in their own eyes. If you flip to the end of Judges, Judges 25, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. There never was, except for God. God was meant to be the king, number one king. But there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What happens when we do what is right in our own eyes? It becomes messy, exactly. It becomes very messy because we put our eyes just focused solely on ourselves. We don't bother to love the other because my needs, my desires, my satisfactions become the most important part. Not God's. God's rescued me more times than I can even imagine, yet I still have the focus on self. And so when we take our eyes off the Lord and put it on ourselves, we actually become insular. And that is sin. So the trouble with sin is, and the, the, the Israelites found this, it leads to oppression. God takes away his hand of protection from the Israelites. And it sounds harsh, but this is what he did. And, and it leaves them open for the surrounding nations to come in and oppress them. God uses six pagan nations to oppress his people. He has the Mesopotamians that oppressed them for for eight years, the Moabites that oppressed them for 18 years, the Canaanites who oppressed them for 20 years, the Midianites for seven years, the Ammonites for 18 years, and the Philistines for 40 years. That's a lot of oppression. So you have the oppression that God has allowed. Why? Because they took their eyes off God, the sin of the people. And this oppression is then followed by repentance. So God raises up a judge. And through the judge, they finally cry out to to God and they do this 180 degree turn and return to the Lord. And God raises up this judge to deliver them back from their oppressors. We're going to look at one of the judges in a little, little bit. And that repentance then leads to the judge delivers them, deliverance. Now God delivers them and brings them peace while the judge continues to rule. Only while the judge continues to rule, and then the cycle goes through again and again and again. So listen to it through just through Scripture. I'm going to just read through Scripture. Verse 11, I think probably, uh, no, it's not the next slide, I didn't get the slide. Verse 11 says, The Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and worshipped the Baals. Verse 14, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the power of the enemies all around us. God's doing this. Verse 18b, The Lord would be moved to pity by their groaning because of those who persecuted and oppressed them. Verse 18a, whenever the Lord raised judges up for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them from the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. It's right there in the scripture. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, death of a judge, repeat. It's right in scripture. It's a cyclical pattern that went on and on. And all out throughout the the book of Judges, spanning 330 years, there was 12 judges. Samuel's considered a judge, um, so maybe 13, but sort of of, outside is the final judge. Of the 12 judges in the book of Judges, 11 were men, one was a woman. 
33 years of this, not 33, 330 years of this cycle going through, 111 of them, a third of them, were oppressed by surrounding nations because of their sin, because of their disobedience. Now, I wonder when you think of the word judge, what do you think of? I wonder if it's a little bit like the pictures up here. Do you think that sort of judge? <laughs> that hard-nosed, gavel-in-the-hand, Judge Judy-type judge? <laughs> I've never seen her smile. <laughs> Judges that, that God built up, brought out, probably weren't anything like that. They didn't wear the funny wigs or anything. They were the whole package. These Old Testament judges, they were political, spiritual and military leaders. They were, they were the sort of the ultimate people that blended into one and that brought the, the nation back to God. And verse 18 in your scripture here is important in chapter 2 of Judges, um, that God sent them. God sent the judge. The judge didn't go and say, right, I'm going to take this on my shoulders and I'm going to do it myself. God raised up the judges for them. The Lord was with the judge and the Lord delivered them from the hands of their oppressors. So these judges were God's appointed leaders, bringing the wayward nation back to God and releasing them from their oppression. But the judges weren't perfect. If you read through the book of Judges, and I, I challenge you to do that, go, go through in the next sort of uh, week or two, go through the book of Judges, some great stories. We don't have a time to look at all of them, but we're going to look at the um, one judge in particular, and we're going to have a quick look at, at Gideon. Um, maybe another time we'll do a whole series on Judges, because they are good. But um, you can read Gideon's story in chapter 6 and 7 of Judges. And Gideon really doesn't have what we'd consider the best credentials to be a judge. You, you, our, 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 I don't know about you, but I go to Samson and go, strong, he's a man, he'd be it. This isn't Gideon. He wasn't that guy. Um, I mean, Samson had his own problems, but Gideon wasn't like that. Gideon, if there was a word for, award for least likely to succeed as a judge, Gideon would probably get it. His family was, he was the youngest in his family, so already his credentials are no good. From the weakest tribe, so he's going downhill in the eyes of others, uh, he was as far from Samson as he could possibly be. Yet this is, this is the person, this imperfect person that God chose to rescue his people from the oppression of the Midianites. In fact, Gideon himself thought it was a joke that God was saying, you're the man. <laughs> and he of little faith puts a fleece out overnight. And if it was soaked with dew in the morning, then you'll know that God selected him. He goes out and he wrings the, the fleece out and, and indeed it's full of water. And, he's, and we're like, we get to that part of the story and go, yes, he knows. Great. But he doesn't because he goes, oh, that was too easy for God. Let's do it the other way. If it's dry this time, then it's going to be so much better. So I will really know. So he puts the fleece out again and it's dry. Of course it's dry because God was saying, you are the one. You are the one. Maybe you've done that very thing. Maybe you've said it. I'm going to put a fleece out for God. You might have said that. I've heard people say that. That's all right. This is what God wants me to do. I'm going to... Put this out there. I'm going to wait for the sign. We've got to be a little bit careful because that can be transactional in faith, can't it? That can be a transaction. If God, you do this, then I will do that. Sometimes God just wants us to step out. 
Step out in faith. Step out and not wait for the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth fleece. It's like that, that joke that um, the guy's in a flood and, and he's crying out to God, 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 come and rescue me. God, come and rescue me. And the boat goes past. Hey, mate, come on in. He goes, no, God's going to rescue me. And, and, the, uh, and the, the, the helicopter comes down. God, uh, come on. God's going to rescue me. Don't worry. I'm going to be okay because God's going to rescue me. He ends up in heaven because he drowns. And, uh, and he says to God, what? what's the deal? And he goes, well, I sent through the boat and the helicopter. And you said, no. <laughs> We've got to be careful of transactional faith. But what God was really doing for Gideon was that God was moving Gideon from this place of fear, of uncertainty, into a total place of faith. God doesn't want Gideon, God doesn't want you to live in a place of fear. Fear of the things around, fear of the future, fear of the unknown. Rather, God calls Gideon to a deep sense of trust. So Gideon, he goes out and the fleece is dry the second day. And Gideon goes, I'm going to have to trust. You see, when, when he's facing this ridiculously large army that he's coming up against, his default position before God is now no longer going to be fear. It's going to be trust. His natural inclination was fear. We know that. Hey, God, make sure this is wet. Hey, God, make sure this is dry. It's fear. And I don't blame him in some ways. We're human. And we come up against obstacles that just seem way too big for us to overcome. But God reminds us, have a default position of trust and not fear. I wonder if there's a place in your life at the moment where you need to move away from fear and move towards trust. Maybe it's as you grow older, and I'm starting to grow older, I'm starting to feel it. The world is changing it's easy for those things that are different to actually become quite overwhelming. Technology, new ways of doing things. Maybe we need to move away from the fear of them and trust that God is still at work in this world in the way that he was 50, 60, 100, 200, 2,000 years ago. For, for us with young children... There might be a very fear that our children are growing up in a world with more pronouns than we ever understood. We can fear it, for sure. Or we can trust that God is still at work in the world around us and that our children are being hedged with God's protection as we pray for them. Sharing a faith with a neighbour or at work can be a, a space of fear. Or we can walk in trust, saying, actually, God is with me as I speak. Maybe it's a fear of change, that change is happening too quickly and I don't know how to deal with it. Fear is a safety mechanism and I don't want you to look at a dog that's just about to attack you and go, I don't need to fear you because that's not a good idea either. <laughs> but fear is not something, when it's to do with the Lord, is not something that we should be stepping back from what God's calling us to do. We've got to be people of great faith to step into the Jordan River before the stream stops flowing. We're called into crazy battles in our world, battles that don't always make a whole lot of sense. Yet in faith, God moves and God starts to work in and through us. So God gives Gideon this reason to move away from fear and into trust. He had the promise of God with him. He mightn't have looked like or felt like this mighty warrior, he might have felt like the least of them, but God continued to show him, I will be with you. 
And God says that to you today. The Lord is with you. That's his promise. The Lord is with you. In your workplaces, in your schools, in your clubs, with the church, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with us as a church. I'm excited by what's going on in this church. I really am. God's doing some amazing things. Relationships are being nurtured. Uh, People are connecting with their neighbours in different ways. People are stepping into the church and calling KSBC home. We've got to continue to trust that God is doing good things in and through the church. We're going to move from fear to trust. So Gideon did, and he musters this army up, 32,000 strong army to take on the Midianites and lead them out of the oppression. And whilst they looked over the uh, the valley of the Midianites, um, God whispers to Gideon. So he's looking over the the Midianites, and they've got a big army. He says, you've got too many men, 32,000. That's a lot of men. He says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. You did it yourself. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And you'd think, if I was the leader, I'd be thinking, well, a couple of thousand left, fair enough, that's all right. But 22,000 of the 32 left, 22,000, it's like that's a big lot of people just turned their back and went away. I'm like, oh, well... If we lose at least there's 22,000 people sort of setting up families still for our, I don't know. So 10,000 left, strong army. But we find out that the Midianites are quite a bit bigger. Their Midianites were huge in numbers. They not, in Judges 6, 5, it says, neither they nor their camels could be counted. There's so many of them. It's like the stars, you can't count them. It's a lot of people. We're not told how many their army would be, but a conservative estimate would be around 200,000 people in their army. That's a lot. So against 10,000, that's a ratio of 20 to 1. Not great odds. But God says 10,000 is too many. Oh, okay. If the Israelites are going to turn back and worship Yahweh alone and get rid of the things that they've been doing, that they need to know they've been delivered by God alone. So God tells Gideon to set those apart who go down the river and lap in the water like dogs and those who knelt down and, and, and do it in a civilised sort of way. And 300 people lapped from the river, 9,700 people were civil. So Gideon's probably thinking, well, get rid of the, the 300 that sort of lapped there. They're a bit, bit, bit funny. They just go lap, just a bit... What? Uh, but no, God says, take the 300. Take the 300 and I will deliver you. So now we're not talking of a 20 to 1 ratio. We're talking 666 to 1 ratio. The odds are ridiculous. The odds are ridiculous. It looks... Hopeless from a, 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 our, our perspective, doesn't it? But from God's perspective, it looks different. God had raised up Gideon to f- defeat his oppressors, to, to tr- learn to trust over fear and sends him ba- into battle, which on paper is only going to end badly. But God knows his people well. If they win the battle with that many p- people, they're going to turn because it can only be of God. So with only 300 soldiers, victory will be something that will turn their eyes. So Gideon lays out this strategy to defeat the Midianites. They were to light torches, lay them inside a jars of clay. Each soldier was to carry it in their left hand, in their right hand a trumpet. Um, they sneak up on the Midian army at night, smash their clay pots and blow on their trumpets and yell together, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And the Midianites hear the trumpets and the sounds and saw the lights that, that in three different places and they try and run. And chapter 7, 22 says, The Lord sets every man's sword against his fellow and against all the army. There was chaos, chaos. And God delivered the army of the Israelites that day. 300 soldiers. 
and the leader of this small band of lapping water drinkers, the weakest of his family, the weakest of the clan of Manasseh, led the smallest army to defeat the largest. God was there. God was with Gideon. And the people came back to God through this incredible conquest. After that, the Israelites had peace for 40 years. He went through that cycle. It's quite amazing. Yet, Judges 8, 33 and 34 goes on to say, No sooner that Gideon died, they set up Baal Bereth as their god. What? As soon as he died, they set up a different god, Baal, as their god, and didn't remember the Lord their god, who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. As soon as, after such a conquest, after such peace, 40 years even, you think the people would be telling the story 40 years on. Well, do you remember what, what happened when the, the, the rest of the army, the 31,700 people all came home and went, well, we're out, we weren't allowed to, so 300 people started to go and what, they won? We weren't expecting that. Wow, let's tell that story for the next 40 years. But they didn't. They didn't. And it casts a bit, of a, a bit of a slight on humanity, doesn't it? I encourage you to read through the book of Judges and see that cycle happen again and again and again. You know, there's some pretty cool stories in Judges. Actually, when I was, uh, before I became a Christian, um, as a teenager, Judges was the book that some of my mates told me I should read a little bit of and started reading stories of, of um, yeah, just some gory stories of, of tent pegs through temples, all that sort of stuff. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff. As a teenager, I'm like, whoa, that's in the Bible? What's that about? That's crazy. Um, so I thought that book is not so bad. But, um, <laughs> but when we start to understand the cycle of Judges, if you read through it and start to really understand the cycle of Judges, you can start to understand the immense love of God that brought Jesus into the world to act as ultimate judge. Because when we walk away from God, when we turn our back on God, there is, there is a deep consequence. And it's this separation from God. No matter how much I try, I can never get back to God on my own. I need someone to step into my place, to fill that gap, to forgive my sin, to bring me back to a right relationship with God. And only one can do that again and again and again. A judge, in the book of Judges, the judge did it once and brought them back. And then a new judge came and brought them back. And a new judge came. But in Christ, we're led to the cross again and again and again. Why? Because there's no verse that says, no sooner that Jesus had died, they set up something else to be in his place. They didn't have time for that because three days later, Jesus rose again. Death was defeated. Life was restored. And we are saved by not a dead God or a dead judge, but a living God. We sin. The consequences of our sin is that we're separated from God. We're called to repent and through Christ, we're delivered back into the worship of God. And unfortunately for us, it's a cycle that keeps going as well, doesn't it? And stresses get too much. And we turn other things to cause our stresses to not be so much. Anger reveals its head, and we lash out at the ones we love. Self-pity hits hard, and we try to fill that void in another way. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus brings us right back through our repentance. It's a struggle that we all go through. It's a struggle we all go through. So I wonder where you are on that cycle today. I wonder where you stand or sit. 
Acknowledging where we are in the cycle is a start of drawing ourselves closer to Jesus. So I want you to be honest with yourself today. I'm going to have a little bit of time to reflect on this in a little bit. I wonder, are you, are you in the cycle? Are you in the sin cycle? Are you chasing the wrong things right now? Are you've got, have you got mixed up priorities? Have you got some sort of addiction or addictive behaviour or personality that sort of captured you and you can't break from it? Are you mistreating other people? Or maybe you're in that next stage, the oppression stage, and, and you're feeling that your, your relationship with God is really strained at the moment. You might ask yourself, am I destroying my relationships with others? Is it affecting my health, my emotional being? Is it affecting me financially? What's going on that because of my sin, it's, something's taking shape? At this stage, then you've got two things you can do. You've got two choices. You can either choose to repent or choose to not repent. But then, if you choose repentance, then there's deliverance. Because out of a broken heart of repentance, God can deliver us. God keeps coming back to you and taking you back. 2 Corinthians 5.17 uh, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We are made new again and again and again through Christ. Through repentance, God brings us back to a new life, a life that's full and a life that is worth living. It's a life that you don't need to fear. It's a life that can live in trust. I'm going to invite the, the musicians and the band on. They're going to sing a final song before the kids uh, come in and start to set up the stage. Um, and while, the, kids, while the, the team's setting up the stage, I'm going to go back to those four sections. I'm going to go back to those sections um, to be able to stop and reflect. And, and as, as we do, I want you to, to just to mull over. I'll get Joe just to run through those slides in a little while when the song's finished and the stage is going. Don't think about what's going on, on stage, but I want you just to reflect on what maybe where you sit in that cycle of sin that the judges hit so hard. So thanks, Owen. <laughs>